Chapter Twenty Two of The Widow Married, a sequel to The Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. Tete a tete and an interruption. Great want of gallantry on the part of Jack. Enforced confidence succeeded by very familiar companionship. A happy little party. Meanwhile, the two friends at last reached their destination at Brompton but not before the veal cutlets and mashed potatoes were very nearly reduced to cinders and poor miss louisa as nearly out of temper as her constitutional tranquillity would permit the evening of course passed in alternate mutterings between miss matilda and patty which in style might not inaptly have been compared to those classic eclogues in which a gentle contest is briskly kept up on rival themes for dear beautiful jack steady on the one side and poor dear foxcroft on the other invariably formed the subject of each eloquent speaker's volubility good miss louisa was very little in their way not seeming in the slightest degree conscious of what they were saying and to all appearance as completely devoted to the intricate mysteries of some newly invented knitting as her companions could be in endeavouring to trace the still subtler twistings of the human art the following morning looked so brightly inviting that even the quiet thimble-loving miss louisa proposed a walk adding moreover with more than usual vivacity suppose my dears that we are all to go together to hear the band play it is such a beautiful walk turning in at the green park matilda you know and i don't suppose dear patty ever heard such a band in her life the friends exchanged glances and a little closing up of the eyes and an almost imperceptible shake of the head in each said plainly to the other that it would not do at all it had indeed been agreed between them before they left their sleeping apartment for the uncombative louisa had resigned herself to the drawing-room carpet and a blanket that patty must assign an incipient sore throat as a reason for wishing to stay at home while matilda after the one o'clock slice of bread and butter had been handed round should request the company of her elder sister upon some errand of importance to be invented for the nonce the eligibility of performing which should be further made manifest by pointing out the necessity of not letting poor patty talk too much all this was accordingly performed ably and received in the best manner possible by miss louisa and at ten minutes before two miss o'donagough was seated alone and in state upon the miss perkins's sofa with every one of her beautiful pink bows exactly in its right place her black curls a la poodle wantoning over her comely face and her eyes shining with more than usual brightness luckily she did not wait long or it is possible her charming looks might have been injured by impatience exactly at two o'clock the knocker of the house door gave signal of a visitor an active young step was heard upon the stairs and in the next moment the name of mr john steady was announced when patty's own darling jack stood before her the young man though no longer in regimentals looked as she thought ten thousand times handsomer than ever and patty's step to welcome him was so eager that it brought her to the door almost before he had fully entered it oh my dear jack she exclaimed i am so glad you are come and i have made everybody go out on purpose that we might have a long comfortable talk by ourselves what a time it is since you set off in that nasty boat for sheerness ain't you glad to see me again jack most surely i am my dear miss patty replied the young man but you are looking so remarkably well that i have no occasion to inquire after your health have you been in london ever since your arrival oh lor no not we 
replied patty seating herself on the sofa with a hand extended on each side of her so as to assist in a sort of jump for joy movement with which she relieved the fulness of her heart while she gazed upon her visitor as he sat opposite to her we stayed almost no time in london then but went down on the top of the coach to brighton on purpose to see all mamma's grand relations and there they were lots of em men women and children but there wasn't one of the whole kit that i liked so well as you jack you are exceedingly kind i am sure replied the youth blushing a little and then stopping very evidently at a loss what to say next mercy upon me i don't call that kind because i could not help it you know you could not like anybody as well as me jack could you i am sure nobody in the world can deserve to be liked better because you are always so very good-natured good-natured is that all why i wouldn't give a penny for anybody who hadn't more to say for themselves than that my goodness jack do you remember your jumping overboard into the sea i shall never forget it the longest day i have to live and do you remember who it was that brought you to and then our nice dear ship billiards oh what fun to be sure and think of your trying to make us believe that you wasn't a bit better than a common sailor but i wasn't such a fool as that anyhow my dear miss o'donagough began mr steady but the young lady stopped him short once for all jack i won't be called miss o'donagough or miss patty either by you so mind that if you please or else you and i shall quarrel as sure as you sit there you always used to call me patty and patty i choose to be called and i shall call you jack too unless we happen to have listeners and then i suppose i must call you mr steady the young man seemed to make an effort to look grave but it was in vain and he laughed heartily without exactly understanding perhaps the cause of his mirth his companion shared it and laughed heartily too till suddenly jumping up the young lady seized a pair of scissors that lay on the table and with a hop skip and jump got to the back of mr steady's chair and stationing herself behind it said in a voice of authority eyes front mind the word of command mr jack or i'll cut your head off i will upon my honour what are you going to do my dear girl said the young man disobeying her commands and turning himself round to look in her face do what i bid you said patty and no harm shall come of it see here don't look so frightened a fair exchange is no robbery and so saying the lively young lady mercilessly enclosed within the glittering forceps one of her own ringlets which she scrupled not to blank dissever from her fair head for ever and for ever there now jack look at that said she isn't it a pretty little curl and dropping it rather upon than into his hand she seized the moment in which of necessity his attention was directed to it and performed the same feat upon a portion of the young man's chestnut tresses leaving a very cruel gap just over his left ear now what do you say to that master jack i am the same funny girl that ever i was ain't i said patty skipping round in front of him and exhibiting her prize exultingly held on high oh patty this is very foolish what would your mamma say if she could know it said the young man rising and looking very much as if he were disposed to re-exchange the tokens by dint either of stratagem or force come be a good girl and throw it away a fine tall young lady as you are now must not play the same sort of tricks that you used to do when a child throw it away and will you throw mine away jack what a brute you must be to think of it and patty very coaxingly approached him holding fast the treasured lock in one hand 
while with the other she cleverly caused the one he still held to curl round two of his fingers now is it not very pretty jack said she looking up in his face with a sort of deprecating smile yes to be sure it is and you are very pretty too patty said the youth fairly beat out of his discretion and unceremoniously saluting the blooming cheek which had placed itself so near him at the very moment he did so and while the not too greatly incensed patty was laughing heartily at his audacity the door opened and in walked mr and mrs allen o'donagough the parties naturally fell into a tableau and for half a minute not a word was spoken but patty soon recovered both her courage and her tongue and though still blushing a rather deeper tint perhaps than the celestial rosy red of which the poet sings she managed to assume an air of very tolerable nonchalance as she exclaimed so you are come to look after me i suppose but if you look sharp perhaps you will see into the bargain an old friend with a new face mrs o'donagough's first emotion was of a mixed nature being compounded of one feeling a little approaching to alarm and another rather nearer still to satisfaction at discovering her patty so evidently according to her notions the object of a tender passion and that too from a person so pre-eminently elegant in appearance as mr john steady but the words of the young lady caused her to examine the countenance of the gentleman more attentively and ere she had gazed long her whole attitude and manner changed a smile of unmixed satisfaction distended her countenance she laid her hand upon the arm of her husband and drawing him a step or two forward stopped within a yard of her old acquaintance exclaiming in a sort of theatrical whisper intended to be heard with particular distinctness look there o'donagough look there and tell me what you see mr o'donagough's demeanour upon seeing his daughter at a tete-a-tete game of romps with a strange man was by no means so equivocal as that of his lady for he grew extremely red in the face and altogether appeared well inclined to be in a great rage but the accents of his barnaby acted like oil on troubled water his frown relaxed his colour and his collar became mitigated and yielding to her gentle influence he set about staring the stranger very fixedly in the face mercy on me it can't be can it it is not possible to be sure were the sentences he uttered rapidly but with every appearance of satisfaction in place of his late displeasure as soon as the last words were spoken patty who watched him narrowly placed herself in an attitude similar to that of her mother upon his other arm and taking upon herself to answer his wondering inquiries said yes but it is possible papa and what is more it is true it is our own dear jack and no other you may take my word for it and pray miss patty how did you find him out demanded her father turning his eyes abruptly from the face of his old acquaintance to that of his daughter with a look which though no longer so fierce as before seemed to express some curiosity to say the least of it for a satisfactory explanation but the forbidden discovery being made and that without any agency of hers miss patty's difficulties were quite at an end and without affecting any further mystery she replied how did i find him out why in the street to be sure and never was there such a piece of luck wasn't it lucky jack wasn't you delighted to see me it may be remembered that mrs o'donagough herself had never formed any great intimacy with the young shipmate who now stood before her in a guise so wholly different from any in which she had hitherto seen him yet so precisely accordant to the imaginings which her shrewd suspicions had suggested her feelings therefore upon this unexpected rencounter were simply those of triumphant sagacity and it was with a chuckling merriment very little agreeable to the object of it that she continued to gaze upon him from top to toe 
mr o'donagough was perhaps even better pleased still for not only had the discovery removed some exceedingly disagreeable suspicions from his mind in which his fair daughter was concerned but with the keenness of a professional eye he discerned at a glance that whatever might have been the cause of the masquerading carried on amongst the crew and passengers of the atalanta the young man was decidedly of that class of society among which he particularly desired to increase his acquaintance and this unexpected accident seemed to offer a very excellent opportunity for doing so thus the only person in the group who felt not perfectly and pleasantly at ease was poor jack himself and he would gladly have given a joint of his little finger to escape answering patty's affectionate query and too perhaps might the sacrifice have placed him clear of the adventure altogether wasn't it lucky jack reiterated patty and ain't we famously caught out with our locks of hair exchanged and the young lady held up to view the shining trophy she had won while her eyes directed those of her observant papa and mamma to the now considerably deranged curl which the unfortunate youth still held between his fingers luckily for him the necessity of immediately replying to patty's tough query was obviated by mr o'donagough's saying as if in consequence of the intelligence conveyed by the tell-tale locks of hair you will not be surprised sir if i now think it right to request you will inform me what your real name may be jack is perfectly dumbfounded poor dear fellow exclaimed patty laughing but i can tell you his name papa without plaguing him to speak if he had rather let it alone his name is steady mr john steady and that answers to the fork don't it mamma mr o'donagough said the young man appearing suddenly to rouse himself with the energy of a newly formed resolution will you give me leave to speak with you alone for five minutes gracious goodness can it be about marrying her thought mrs o'donagough he is going to pop the question as sure as my name's patty inwardly murmured her daughter unconsciously clapping her hands in the ecstasy of her heart mr o'donagough himself however felt convinced in a moment from the tone of voice in which the request was made that the object of it was not his daughter yet nevertheless he had enough of interest and curiosity in the business to answer readily i shall be very happy to hear sir whatever you may be pleased to communicate to me which assurance was given in mr o'donagough's most respectful and gentlemanlike manner may i attend you to another room sir said the young man is there any room here patty into which i can show this gentleman inquired her father no that there isn't papa except the perkins's bedroom and that's all in a litter i'll be bound then we will take a turn in the park mr o'donagough if not disagreeable to you said the young man taking up his hat and deliberately laying down poor patty's ringlet in its place mr o'donagough replied only by a bow and they left the room together as the subject matter of the conversation between patty and her mother may be easily guessed it is unnecessary to repeat it and we will therefore follow the two gentlemen into hyde park where as by mutual consent they chose a path the least liable to interruption when the following conversation took place it can hardly be necessary for me to inform you mr o'donagough began the young man that folly and frolic must be pleaded in excuse for my having made your acquaintance under false colours i am very glad to hear my dear sir that there was no worse cause for it said the elder gentleman sir in very haughty accents was the rejoinder of the younger one i feared it impossible resumed mr o'donagough in his best manner that some unfortunate affair of honour might have rendered a distant expedition necessary or at least prudent no sir thank heaven i have nothing so irreparable on my conscience the history is briefly this 
i was left without father mother or any near relative except a sister still younger than myself with a large fortune and a personal guardian for whom i had conceived a very unjust but very strong dislike for a few years i pursued my studies at eton with tolerable propriety i believe but at the end of that time my guardian wished me to go to college while i insisted upon immediately entering the guards which produced a quarrel all the faultiness and all the violence of which belonged wholly to myself i am sorry to confess that it was the mere wantonness of intentionally giving this excellent friend as much pain and anxiety as i could well devise that i set off for australia without communicating to him the slightest intimation of my intending to leave england at all and aware that if i went under my own name he would be likely to get the intelligence from the newspapers i had the folly to go out in one ship in the character of a mechanic about to seek my fortune in a new world and return in another under the semblance as you know of a common sailor belonging to the crew in the latter case however i confided a portion of the truth to the captain and crew partly because i felt it would be impossible to keep up my assumed character with them on account of my nautical ignorance and partly i own for the sake of arranging the minor particulars of my passage on a more agreeable footing than i had thought it necessary to do in going out my name however it was not necessary to disclose and i believe i left the ship at sheerness without anything more being known of me than i was a lad with a good deal of money and a roving sort of disposition which had led me to take a trip that i did not wish to have known and this in fact was the exact truth i had one confidant and one only to this thoughtless frolic my sister knew where i was gone and from her i received one letter directed to me according to my instructions under a feigned name to the care of a merchant at sydney this letter produced a total revolution in all my feelings respecting my guardian it described his sufferings on my account as so much more blended with affection that i had ever believed possible that my heart was softened and my spirit sobered at once but it had never occurred to him that i could have committed any greater folly than the merely keeping myself concealed near london and as my sister faithful to the promise i had extorted from her never betrayed her knowledge of my having quitted england his regret and his sufferings were wholly occasioned by the idea that he had wounded a too sensitive temper by the assumption of more severe authority than he ought to have shown come back instantly wrote my sister and never let him know the whole extent of your folly it was from a wish to follow strictly this advice that i so cautiously concealed my name and station and as he has never since my return asked me a single question respecting my absence i have never yet recurred to the subject we are i am happy to say on the best possible terms and though i have been for some months of age i would have been perfectly willing to atone for past rebellion by entering myself at oxford but of this he would not hear and convinced as he kindly says that my former opposition proceeded from a genuine and decided preference for the profession i was so eager to enter he himself arranged everything respecting my commission and i am now with much better luck than i deserve in precisely the position i desired without the mortification of having my boyish escapade brooded from one end of the country to the other you will perceive therefore mr o'donagough that i have very strong reasons for not wishing to have our meeting on board the atalanta made known and i shall hold myself greatly indebted to your courtesy if you will never under any circumstances allude to it and shall be grateful also if you will use your influence with the ladies of your family to the same effect depend upon it my young friend replied mr o'donagough in an accent of much kindness depend upon it your secret is perfectly safe with me nor do i fear the discretion of either my wife or daughter patty is as good a girl as ever lived and with all her high spirits 
is as gentle and obedient as a lamb to every wish that either her mother or i seriously expressed to her and for you dear jack but this familiar appellation must be used no longer may i ask sir if your name be really steady no sir it is not replied the young man colouring mr o'donagough said no more and the silence which ensued was rather awkward it was the young incognito who broke it by saying with a good-humoured smile i tax your kindness severely perhaps mr o'donagough both by my confidence and by my want of it i am i believe absurdly anxious about this concealment but the fact is some of the friends whose good opinion i most highly value fancy that the interval of my absence has left some traces of improvement with me and my sister assures me that the general belief is that i have passed my time in profitable reading whereas in truth i have done nothing save finding a little leisure to reflect and though i would not were i questioned falsify a single passage in my history i would rather at least for the present that things remained as they are therefore mr o'donagough if you will have the kindness not to urge the disclosure of my name i shall really feel it as a great obligation is it your wish then that we should still call you mr steady demanded mr o'donagough gravely this was a trying question for had the young man answered it sincerely he could only have said that he trusted no circumstances were likely to occur in which there would be any necessity for his being addressed by him or his family at all but to utter this was of course impossible and after a moment's hesitation he replied yes sir another silence followed which like the former one was at length broken by jack i believe mr o'donagough that we may now turn back again said he and i beg you to accept my thanks for your obliging attention to my foolish story mr o'donagough followed the movement made by his companion and turned about to retrace his steps to brompton but he was not fully satisfied with the manner in which the conference appeared likely to conclude and ere he had taken many steps he said will you before we part permit me to make one observation my dear sir the young man bowed his willingness to hear it it is never wise resumed mr o'donagough believe me sir it is never wise to repose a half-confidence in any man i will not charge myself with any greater infirmity of curiosity than i believe affects all the rest of us but neither will i attempt to deny that i do feel and shall feel a desire perfectly idle as i am ready to confess to learn your real name you must be aware that the generality of men might feel this without confessing it but i have still a very fresh remembrance of the amiable manner in which your gay spirits beguiled the tedium of our long voyage and i cannot resist the friendly feeling which prompts me to advise your trusting me with a name which i will tell you frankly cannot be long hidden from me you will perhaps as the season advances be likely to meet me more frequently in london society than you may expect though i have no secrets to keep me silent i am not much given to talk of my own family and connections or you would probably know by this time that i am highly connected as well as my wife who you may perhaps have heard mention her family no sir never replied the young man dryly and with a feeling not perhaps very carefully concealed that he did not feel any great interest on the subject i think you told me you were in the army said mr o'donagough i did sir replied the ci-devant jack with some haughtiness but i did not imagine the information could give you any right to cross-question me believe me i have no such intention i was about to convey information not to seek it and you will judge me fairly you must i think perceive that my only possible motive for pursuing this conversation is to prevent your fancying yourself more secure from all chance of my discovering what you wish to conceal than you really are 
i alluded to your profession sir because i conceive that it renders it almost certain you must know the name of general hubert know the name of general hubert repeated the young man suddenly standing still and looking earnestly in the face of his companion most assuredly i know his name may i inquire your reason for asking the question the general's lady is my wife's niece quietly replied mr o'donagough the effect of this announcement which was made at random without the slightest idea that the general's name was better known to his companion than that of any other officer of equal rank was sufficiently strong to convince the speaker that his young listener was at least in some degree in his power the youth changed colour began to speak then suddenly checked himself and at length ejaculated more as if thinking aloud than with the purpose of making any communication this is indeed a most unexpected coincidence are you acquainted with the general said mr o'donagough without appearing to notice his agitation very well very much i am very much acquainted with him stammered the young man in reply and then added rapidly and as if from the impulse of a sudden determination it must indeed be in vain for me to attempt any further concealment from you mr o'donagough may i hope that in giving you my full confidence i am giving it to a friend who will kindly seek to assist rather than to thwart me with an air of candour and sincere good-will that was really touching mr o'donagough stood still for a moment and extending both his hands received that of his companion between them be very sure of it my dear young friend said he cordially shaking and pressing the hand he held be very sure of it i can have no motive on earth for betraying a confidence that does me both honour and pleasure tell me your real name dear jack and it shall be henceforth numbered among those of the friends whom i most desire to serve i am sir henry seymour said the young man and so saying he withdrew his hand as if by a movement that was involuntary yet at the same moment declared himself much obliged and quite confident that mr o'donagough would faithfully keep the promise he had given him now then let us return to the ladies my dear sir henry said the well-pleased mr allen o'donagough you are very good but i must beg you to excuse me replied his companion i have in fact business which obliges me to visit the horse-guards immediately pray make my compliments to the ladies good morning but for god's sake don't go my dear sir henry till you tell me where i can find you again besides i have fifty things to say to you i will walk a little way towards the horse-guards with you i want you to tell me beyond all things how such a gay young fellow as you are ever came to be so very much acquainted with my stiff nephew-in-law general hubert sir edward stephenson was my guardian replied sir henry seymour with ill-concealed reluctance ay ay that explains it lady stephenson is hubert's sister i don't know sir edward as yet but what a capital good fellow his brother frederick is we have just parted from him at brighton did you ever visit him there sir henry the fine fellow has found out the only good house in the place and famous feeds he gives there i promise you what a pretty little toy his wife is isn't she so like a wax doll but she is a nice little creature too so friendly where she takes a fancy patty was a prodigious favourite and though she is too young to go out much without her mother i did not quite like to refuse because it was such a near connection and i saw so plainly that she meant to be kind and hoped to be an advantage to our young exotic but to tell you the truth my dear fellow she was a little too good-natured to our dear agnes's second son compton who entre nous be it spoken was much sweeter upon his cousin patty than i quite approved i don't like love-making between such very near relations and though it was as clear as light that my girl had no particular fancy for him 
in fact she always seemed to be thinking of something else god knows what though it was most perfectly clear that patty did not very much like it the good-natured nora would constantly ask him every evening that we were there and that in fact was constantly however he is young enough to forget it and we must trust to that all this wild-sounding rattle so unlike the grave and meditative tone which o'donagough had been practising with general hubert was not assumed without a purpose or rather it was not assumed without many purposes it was necessary in the first place to establish beyond the possibility of doubt the important truth that he was what he declared himself to be namely the near connection and intimate associate of general hubert himself and everybody belonging to him it was important too that sir henry seymour should be made to understand that the blooming paddy was already an object of tender attention to others and beyond all else it was important that his own manners with the young baronet should from the first assume that air of easy gossiping frankness which was as he had often found the most certain prelude to profitable intimacy the first item in this list of reasons might have sufficed had mr o'donagough been fully aware of all the weight it carried with it at the first statement of near connection between the families of hubert and o'donagough the young man's heart swelled with indignant incredulity but the mass of evidence contained in the familiar mention of the whole race by a person of mr o'donagough's age and appearance together with an assumption of relationship which however improbable was not likely to have been invented succeeded in convincing him that such was the fact and the moment this was achieved all that followed was wholly superfluous nothing like a cold return for offered civility was to be feared from sir henry seymour towards any one who could boast the advantage of such a relationship his attachment to the whole hubert family was in fact unbounded he considered himself under the deepest obligation to them for their constant kindness to his young sister and was not likely to forget the lenient gentleness with which his own errors had been treated yet though all this was likely very greatly to influence his conduct it could not alter his feelings and he groaned in spirit when having at last got rid of his ship acquaintance he meditated on all the irksome annoyances to which this most unfortunate rencounter was likely to lead that its effect on the other parties was quite as much opposed to this as the positions assigned to the north and south poles need hardly be mentioned the calculating mr o'donagough seemed to tread on air as he paced back to brompton after accompanying his new favourite to the archway of the horse-guards visions of little profitable evenings passed at home of his name set down and favourably balloted for at fashionable clubs of his own hospitalities returned by dinners with the gay young guardsmen and finally of a match for his blooming patty which would not only gratify all his ambitious wishes for her but ensure to himself as firmly at least as anything could the power of holding on to the class among whom it was the darling desire of his heart to move all seemed to flash before him in such bright but palpable distinctness that he felt the glorious game to be entirely in his own hands he had in one word got possession of the young man's secret and it depended on himself to make a good use of it he found the two miss perkinses returned when he reached their dwelling and the gabble of female tongues which greeted his ears as he mounted to the drawing-room was delightful to him for it sounded like a flourish of trumpets announcing the return of a victor if they were thus joyous with what they knew already what would their feelings be when they should learn all of which he had so skilfully achieved the knowledge no shadow of mystery or reserve was now left to injure the happy union between the perkinses and o'donagoughs and it was therefore with unmitigated freedom that the anxious mother exclaimed as he entered now then out with it donny 
what is his real name after all mr o'donagough looked upon the little circle with a benignant smile don't stand grinning there papa cried patty rushing towards him and seizing upon the collar of his coat with the consciousness that he and his news at that moment particularly belonged to herself tell us all you know this very moment or you shall find that you had better not tease me tease you my beauty no faith i must not tease you any more for i must say for a young lady of fifteen you have got up as nice a little love affair as the most prudent parent could desire the gentleman is sir henry seymour ladies and as i have every reason to believe a man of large fortune and high connections good gracious only think said miss perkins the elder my adored patty how i wish you joy said miss perkins the younger nobody in their senses could ever doubt that my girl was likely to do well was pronounced by mrs o'donagough with infinite dignity and very stately composure while patty who whatever she might come to hereafter had not yet attained such perfect self-command started back and joyously clapping her hands as she bounded in a prodigious jump from the floor exclaimed shall i be my lady then when i am jack's wife shall i papa upon your life and honour chapter twenty two